and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennials and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It is Saturday, February 3rd, 2018. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And here we are the morning after the release of the Nunes memo. Nunes? Nunes. Nunes. These will always be Nunes to me. Okay. <laughs> Devin Nunes. Um... I, I think, think he Nunes, actually but... prefers it that way so that the right-wingers won't think he's, like, Hispanic-sounding. Right. Which... I thought I read that somewhere. I could be totally making that up. I think you might be, I but know. I think it's Nunes. Um... <laughs> now it's Nunes. Okay. Well, anyway. Hitherto uh... known as Nunes. Because <laughs> he's a garbage person, so we can misname him, I guess. Um, uh, where yeah. Do, where to start? Okay, so let's just do a little bit of background. Um on this. So this guy is what? He's part of the House Intel Committee? He's the chairman. Chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Um, he Congressman from California, if you're yeah. not following along for some reason. Right. Republican. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, has his head so far up Donald Trump's ass that uh, I don't know that he can ever fully extract it. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me exactly, remind me again... Back in December, I want to say, or I don't remember when it was, but a while ago, there was a bunch of controversy about him because he went running to the White House to tattletale about... Yes, because he was involved in the the Trump transition team, he had supposedly recused himself from all things involved in the Russia investigation, just like Sessions. Right. Uh, Only he obviously did not. And he, yeah, he was running back and forth between the White House to get information, give information, leak information from the House Intel Committee to the White House so they could p- prepare talking points. It, it's just been Looney Tunes with him from the start. And, right. And fairly laughable. His level of sort of, in, <laughs> well, while he's the chairman of the Intel Committee that supposedly um, uh, investigating Trump and the Trump campaign for their involvement uh, with the uh, Russian interference of the election. He's also been basically acting as a surrogate for Trump and a de facto lawyer for Trump. Right. Which, which is, is just an obvious conflict of interest. Obviously, he cannot, he must recuse himself. And also, nobody can tell him anything anymore about anything because he's just going to go run and tell Trump about it. Right. Now, he's supposedly, you know, in. in <clears throat> Obviously unable to be impartial. We can say that, right? Yes, right? Okay. Now, he supposedly went and did recuse himself. He said he did, but right. he clearly did not. After that whole kerfuffle, when it was found out that he was relaying information he was getting from the House Intel Committee to Trump, he was like, okay, 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 I won't. Right, part so of we the figured Trump, at this point, okay, he won't, he won't be part of the investigation, but he'll be a mouthpiece and a surrogate like he always right. has been. But he's, he's been doing both. Right. He hasn't recused himself. I, I, <clears throat> Recusing oneself has become this thing that doesn't mean what I think they think it means or isn't being carried out in a way that I think has historically forever. I don't know. Well, they get away with it because they say they've recused themselves and then the media repeats it and then they just haven't and then whatever. And then who cares? Yeah. But it's an actual legal term. And if you're a lawyer and you recuse yourself, that has actual implications and and you can't just say that you did and then not like you can be disbarred for that like there are ethical rules of conduct that lawyers have to follow 
in order to retain their bar certification and just saying you're going to do something and then not doing it, yeah. uh, there should there may be some some that, backlash for some of these people. Uh, there may be, but see the from pro- the ABA. The, well, again, and this we always wind up back at the only way to remedy this is to take for the Democrats to take back control of Congress because ultimately all these norms and rules and laws and ethics that Trump and the Republicans keep pushing the envelope further and further and further and further. Like, they only really have to answer to themselves. Well, the American Bar Association, though. We come back to two points. One, our institutions are the only thing keeping our democracy together right now, including, like, the judicial branch. Um, and, and that's two, tenuous with, right, with Gorsuch. Right, and, and things like the ABA, the American Bar Association, is, is a completely nonpartisan, impartial, professional organization that has rules, and they will fucking disbar you. <laughs> If you don't follow them. Right. And we, so he and, may not get in legal trouble. He may not go to jail for recusing, saying he recused and then didn't, but he may be disbarred. Now, he's not a practicing attorney, so I don't know that he cares, but there are. Well, if see, this is why Gowdy is being very careful because yes. he is leaving. That's yes, Trey some, Gowdy. Some news for the week is that he's not seeking reelection, which was an eye opener. He's going to go back into law and earn probably eight figures a year. Yeah, he's going to go work for a big law firm in and, DC. And, and if he wasn't going to go do that now, he would have done that in four, eight years, something like that. Yeah, which is very, very common for lawyers who are in Congress. Yes. Um, but he's smart enough to know not to run afoul. Right. And go too far. He like wants to actually is. practice law <laughs> yeah. after this and make shitloads of money doing so. Yeah. So he's not going to, he's going to not violate the ethics code of his but that, bar But that, but that <laughs> reckoning is down the line. For now, they're so drunk with power and they're so desperate to keep this administration from going down in flames for their collusion with Russia. They're willing to do or say pretty much anything. Yes. And then... What drives me crazy, and again, Republicans have learned to manipulate the media so well that they keep breaking all these rules and ethics and norms and laws, and the Democrats and people who are not Democrats just go and say, this is wrong for them to do that. And then the media takes that and says partisan bickering. Right. <laughs> so it's just it's right. maddening. It is maddening. It, 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 in a court, <laughs> it would be like... Like a defendant is like clearly uh, guilty of murder, right? And, and the prosecution says this guy murdered so and so, and the defense says no, they didn't. And the jury just, regardless of the evidence, throws up their hands and said, "This is too much back and forth it's bickering. Just I don't bickering. know who to believe." Yeah, mistrial. Yeah, mistrial because there just seems like they're just arguing <laughs> they can't a lot. Agree. They can't agree. The prosecution so and the defense can't agree. Therefore, there must not be facts. I'm not really and... interested in the evidence. I'm just, I'm just so sick of this. And it's like Jesus Christ. I yes. mean, we have to do better than that. Yeah, we, we have to objectively look at what is being said and the evidence that is being presented. <laughs> yes, and the media is just either too lazy to do that or so afraid of appearing to pick a side that the goalposts have moved so far, so far that when we call out we as democrats or centrists at this point or nonpartisan think tanks or people point out the crazy shit they're doing then and npr and so forth just turn likes to turn around and say both sides are arguing right right it's so disingenuous it is ridiculous it is i i will give npr a little bit of credit i was listening to a story earlier this week about the crazy nature of the memo, which we're going to get to in just a second. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Mar Eliasson was saying, um, 
we're talking about, you know, norms and, and that kind of thing. And she was saying, you know, the stunning thing about all of this is that it's just been accepted practice forever. And the fact that it's never been codified into law was because it never needed to be. Mm-hmm. And what she thinks is going to happen is that Trump won't have fundamentally altered the nature of the presidency as much as it will force Congress post the Trump hysteria when he's no longer the president, whenever yeah, the that is. Majority. Right, whenever that is. And there's a, a normalizing figure that becomes a normal politician again and we're post the Trump presidency that it's going to cause a lot of... Um, a Congress to make laws around things like you have to release your tax returns and you have to fully divest yourself before you become the president of your mm-hmm. business interests and and the emoluments clause is going to become like there's going to be laws that are created around um, codifying norms and things that we've always just assumed mm-hmm. and I think that that's true and I hope that she's right that he doesn't that this isn't the new way the presidency or or politics in this country works because if that's the case then we're like to your point a banana republic. Well, sure, and 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 w- who's not to assume that a president with the D next to their name gets in and just gets away with all the same shit? Right. And we don't want that either. No, I this is not what I want. I don't care what party you're a part of. I don't want our democracy to be a fucking reality show joke. I I want my norms and my institutions to function properly as they've always functioned in one way or another. And we've had periods of dysfunction, certainly. Um, mm-hmm. but the systems write themselves and that's my greatest hope. And I don't want I- Oprah to come be the president and not divest <laughs> herself. And yeah, she's great. And I will probably agree with her policies, but I don't want that. Maybe. I want, we don't know professional speech. politicians. I know, but I have, I've, I love her. She's a pretty extraordinary woman. But I don't want her to be the president. I want her to be Oprah. Well, I don't no, need her to no be president. because she was never running for president. No. And the whole hysteria that lasted two weeks after she gave a speech shows you just how broken the Beltway Press is. Yeah, yeah. That we wasted our time debating the merits of this thing that doesn't exist just because it was pure because, clickbait. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was very telling. Yes, it, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I didn't get sucked in. I, I'm not debating anybody about this. I think I sent one tweet. It was just like, no. No. And yeah. that's it. No, exactly. And, you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, the 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 media has always been considered like the fourth branch of government, right? Fourth estate. Fourth estate. Mm, not so much anymore, really. I don't think so. Or at least it's doing, I mean, it's it's a joke of a, of an institution at this point most of it i mean <laughs> yes. it really is it's really become there are some individual reporters and papers that are doing very good work yep but a lot of it is just sensationalized crap and classic mindless both sidesism and just yep. a lot of nonsense yeah but uh, moving away from that, right. let's get back to the news memo cuz it relates directly to that no you so, read the whole thing i did i read most of it snippets it's not long it's like no, it's four, three, pages, four pages. Three, four yeah, pages. Yeah, I think including the letter. Um, I sort of skimmed over the letter because it was just garbage. Here's why we released it, and here's the process by which we did so. I don't care. Um, so here's what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Given the nature of the way that Democrats were reacting and the intelligence community was reacting, the Republicans on the House Intel Committee, everybody who had seen it, there seemed to be this like white-hot panic mm-hmm. about it from... Everybody or or salivating about like hey, let's do it let's do it, so I was expecting something very explosive and probably crazy. not true <laughs> and like some crazy like warping of facts to make outrageous statements about Obama and Hillary and yeah. like 
all Alex this crazy Jones shit. Conspiracy yeah. Theories, Illuminati. And I was and... like, oh God, I can't, I can't imagine what we're going to be talking about. Cause we're going to have to be like breaking this down and trying to fact checks and to try to talk about nuance and like, God knows what they're going to say. And it's going to all be not true, but how do we make people know that it's not true? So, you know, I got the news alert. The president said, yeah, go ahead and release it. And for anyone out there wondering how that works, the reason that that happened is because this is a classified document. And the president of the United States absolutely has the authority to unclassify whatever he wants. That's just part of well, being it's not, the president. It's not that the memo was classified. It's that the memo was drawn up by Nunes' staff based on classified, classified information. information. Right. So the reason that Trump had anything to do with this is because he decided to unclassify it, yeah, which is within his he he obviously, obviously. It. doesn't matter. But that if for anyone wondering, like, why does the president get to decide if this memo gets released? It, he doesn't. He just gets to say this is OK to be unclassified anyway. Mm-hmm. So then it was up to Congress to go ahead and release it, which they did within hours. <laughs> yeah. And Wait. on a Friday afternoon, which, which was, was stupid, which we'll crazy. get to as well. Um, and I was like, fuck. And I kind of procrastinated for like an hour. And then I was like, oh, fuck. OK, I'll read it. And I'm reading it and I'm like, what? What's the big what, fucking deal? Wh- what? It? That's it? Like, yeah, I was and I'm dis- texting you. I mean, I'm like, this is a fucking joke, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, what? What in? What am I reading? There was. It's nothing. Well, it's I was it's dis- nothing. I was disappointed because uh, I was almost hoping for crazy bombast. Right. Like, you know, like we have proof that Hillary personally directed so and so agent to make this thing up and, and wiretap o- Trump personally gave orders to because personal, that's what they talk about on Fox and wiretap wiretap Trump's personal cell phone and yeah, yeah, and then yeah. give that information to the Hillary campaign who then or just to Obama who met with Hillary in this public yes. meeting and he slipped it to her that kind of shit's what I was Bill expecting Clinton and Loretta Lynch somehow yeah they all. got in on it and there's yeah. emails about the things that they did to tap the campaign and well, it's noon, like noon says there's more coming <laughs> right well that's because okay so I think, none he, of that, I think he shat the bed i don't think anybody's gonna take nobody gives seriously. a fuck anymore because it's nothing right. i read it and i was like okay well let's talk about what's in there and and the way they're trying to spin it now very very interestingly um a lot of the hyperbole got walked back now certainly people like hannity and matt gates with his nazi buddies and Sebastian Gorka, who they keep putting microphones in his face, are still talking about, you know, Watergate and craziness and right. whatever. But, like, even the House Republicans are, are like, have they really softened their tone? Yes. They're like, oh, there's things that are very troubling in this, but really, this goes to the whole heart of the whole FISA process. And it's right. like, oh, now you guys really care oh, about that. Oh, now right? you care about privacy yeah, and FISA process. Yeah, Great. But it's really telling, like, oh, yeah, there really was nothing here. But here's what is here, and here's the whole crux of their insanity. Right. And why it's going to fall apart probably by Monday afternoon. Yes. And um, why we think they released it Friday afternoon. Okay, so here's the thing, right? It, it, we're, I'm going to put this all in as brief as possible. If you just know there's a FISA memo and you don't, well, most of our listeners probably know everything. Yeah. <laughs> but assuming, you know, we have some friends that don't. <coughs> so assuming you don't, here's where it all comes from. There's this dude named Carter Page. You've seen the Weasley looking dude who's like always on MSNBC and nobody can figure out why. And if he you keeps haven't, talking. he's a Weasley dude who wears dumb 90s hipster hats and he's, he's very, like in his 20s, he, maybe early 30s. He very, very, very much is a uh, Russophile for whatever reason, and it doesn't matter why he is. He's mm-hmm. a Putin file. He loves Putin. He loves Russia. He wants to be involved in them. He wants their money. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was so involved and entrenched in 
not only Russian affairs but Russian in, in, like intelligence matters that he was recruited by three people of the FSB, which mm-hmm. is essentially the Russian... Like the new KGB. Sort of, yeah. yeah. And they recruited him until they realized he was kind of a dumbass. Right, totally incompetent. Not really. Probably not useful. Not useful and sort of changed their mind. But the fact that they recruited him landed on the FBI's um, yeah, radar. The intelligence community went, hey, uh, maybe we should look into this guy. Look into this guy, yeah. He's an he American might, citizen. Yeah. At that point, he, was, he didn't hold any interesting positions. Right. Now, at the same time, then there's still so many layers to be uncovered because let's talk about a deficient media. Only now after the memo are they like, hmm, who's this Carter Page guy? Right. Which they should have been doing for weeks. Yes. But in any event, only now they're kind of asking those questions. And in fact, he may have been an FBI plant or a mole or at least an informant. Right. So there's, there's something interesting going on here with Carter Page. But so, so, okay, so the FBI goes to the FISA court and says, hey, we want to surveil this, this guy. This is back in 2013, mind you. Right. This Way is not... before Trump campaign for president, no. any of that right. shit. Right. This is Obama's White House, <clears throat> his DOJ, and they said, this guy's being recruited by Russian spy agencies. Perhaps we should just keep an eye on him, right? <laughs> yeah. The FISA court goes, yeah, that seems legit. Go ahead and do that. So they do. Now, do you want to talk about how one obtains a FISA warrant? Sure. Okay. So uh, the entire process of obtaining a FISA warrant, we don't really know a lot about it because the nature of the FISA courts are that they are uh, top secret classified, right? Mm -hmm. right? So basically, um, post 9-11, George W. Bush and the Patriot Act was passed, right? Decided that they needed a way to surveil U.S. citizens who may be working with other countries for terrorist reasons. Right, quickly and easily, because in their mind, the next 9-11 is right around the corner. Right. And- Remember the, the state of, of the world at that time and the anxiety that we were all feeling, and this was all very new, and we yes. didn't we weren't in a war yet and all those things. And some people sounded the alarm, but it was just drowned out by fears of terrorism. Right, yeah. A lot of people on the left and privacy advocates were very upset by this whole thing, but it... George W. Bush was like, you know, who cares? We don't we don't care. Like terrorism yeah, is paramount. Plenty of Democrats in Congress oh, yeah. went along with it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um and remember back in the day the argument was if you don't have if you're not doing anything wrong, then why do you care? Right? If you're if you're not involved with terrorists, like my dad would be like, Oh, listen to my phone calls. I don't care. <laughs> um so it gives yeah, a lot of people said that. Yeah. So it gives the I bet he hates the FISA court now. I bet he does. Oh, oh my God. The privacy <laughs> it's terrible what they did. Um so it gives the ability for the DOJ to quickly ascertain a warrant to do things like tap your phones or get into your email or read your mail mm-hmm. or whatever everything. and anything and everything and whatever you want to do and there's absolutely no transparency we don't get to know what information they provided to this court we don't get to know what they're going to do with that warrant we don't get to know anything as the public there's no oversight of these people it's basically just a judge and somebody from the doj yeah, and i don't know if we already mentioned this but again this is why the intelligence communities were so up in arms about this memo coming out. It didn't have anything to do with them being against Trump no. or for Hillary or part of some conspiracy. No. It was they are going this could start or at least partially lay bare our methods of a counterintelligence tool that is highly classified and that we need to use. And there are reasons, right or wrong, we're not saying it's right, there are reasons we don't we want this stuff remaining classified. And what the Nunes memo did sort of do is shine some light on that process. Right. Not nearly as much as we were concerned about. 
but more than they would have wanted. Right. And I would just say that if anything good comes out of this administration or this this bullshit memo or any of the rest of it, it's that finally Republicans are willing to come to the table to talk about privacy and the fact that the well, FISA right, court right violates the Fourth Amendment. Right. 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 But I mean, I don't think they can go yelling and screaming about how it violates privacy and it's this secret court and what are we doing and da 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 and then go, oh, never mind, never mind. Oh, yes, they can. They're Republicans. Well, they I don't guess. get called to task for that stuff. Ever. <laughs> right. But like, I'm no fan of the FISA court. No. I'm not. I, I think it violates because we're talking about American citizens here. We're talking about American citizens and the Fourth Amendment constitutional rights being violated without due process. Okay. Now, so, they're saying due process because it goes to a judge, but there's no way for us to know what that process is. Right. And if this leads to us having a conversation about what that process is and examining if this is good for our democracy, shit, I'm all for it. It's not like a typical American like grand jury no. subpoena or anything like that where no. it becomes public record never. and we can go find out about it. It never can. The media can't have access to it. The public can't have access to it. Congress doesn't have access to it. Um, well, in I terms think of Carter certain... Page, we will now, in an attempt to deflect and and you know bring to light this idea that it's all a, conspir- a democratic conspiracy against Trump right. with the FBI and Goose. Right. So that's what we were going to get to. So, okay. They go. They get the warrant. They surveil Carter Page. And this Great. is back in 2013. Then they go when he's become an advisor to Donald Trump. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. We're skipping a couple things because they had to renew. That's you have what to I renew mean. The Pfizer right. warrant every they, five years. Is that I right? I think it's less than that. Okay. Because I think he had his renewed three or four times. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then the 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 big kerfuffle is about this very last renewal. Yes. To keep the warrant open on Carter Page. Correct. And that's where this is. This the whole crux of the news memo. This is what, yeah, this is what they're arguing. When the, still the Obama DOJ FBI went and renewed, tried to renew this warrant for the last time, which the FISA judge agreed upon, Devin Nunes is saying, Nunes, Nunes is saying (laughs) that the FBI was not transparent with the FISA court because the basis for the renewal of the warrant, this latest FISA, this warrant. latest FISA warrant, the basis for this renewal was the Steele memo, Steele dossier, Steele dossier. Sorry, yes. Steele dossier. And, and the, why, since did, why the Steel, do they say that's problematic? They say that it's problematic that they didn't tell the FISA court that the basis of their renewal request was the Steele dossier, because the Steele dossier was paid for, that was opposition research from the Clinton from the campaign. Clinton campaign. Or the, or, or, the or the DNC. DNC. Right. They don't know, but they think both or one, right? So since they didn't tell the FISA court that this was political opposition research paid for by the DNC and Hillary Clinton, that means that... Something. <laughs> Something. I don't know. It was very not nice it to do. means that that happened? <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't know. Uh, all right, let's, let's... That's literally it. That's, that's, that's literally it. That's, let, the, that's it. Now we're going to break down for you... The myriad ways that argument is absolute horseshit. Yeah. Okay. You want me to start? Yeah. Okay. One, um, <laughs> Carter Page may, when we're not sure about this on the timeline yet, because again, the media is not doing a very good job of breaking this down. No. Carter Page may have already been out of the Trump campaign when they got that renewal. Okay. We're not sure. Okay. 
If you know, if that's the case, then this really is a huge waste of time. Yeah, now, I I'm mean, not, I'm not sure about that. I don't know the timeline. We'd have to look it up. Okay. But so, number two, Christopher Steele. The way that Republicans are framing this, and the way the media is regurgitating it, was that Hillary Clinton went and met in a in a hotel room with Christopher Steele, much the way. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. met with that Russian lawyer lady at Trump Tower. In reality, that's not the case at all. He was hired by this um, research team, research company called Fusion GPS. Right. Independent of the DNC. So the DNC or Hillary Clinton, whichever one. They subcontracted. Hired Fusion GPS to do opposition research on Donald Trump. Because that's what they do. That's what they do. And they do it on both sides. They do it to everybody. They're just really good at oppo. Yeah. If you pay them, they're going to do oppo research. They don't give a shit what party you are or who you are. Republicans. All the time. State, local. If you can pay them and they do it around the world. Yep. Not just in America. Correct. So the the DNC and the Clinton campaign or whichever one hires Fusion GPS to do oppo research on Donald Trump after he has become the nominee. Well, yeah, which was a process that was already started by the Republicans, but that's not important. Right. Fusion GPS then subcontracts this guy, Christopher Steele. A former MI6 agent. Mm-hmm, British citizen. British intelligence. Uh, because... He's a former MI6 guy, and he knows a lot of things, and, and they work and he, all over the world. Yes, and he is—he was very good and reliable about providing good intelligence. Right. In fact, the that memo, is in the news memo. The news memo says like how great Christopher Steele is <laughs> and how reliable he is, which is baffling in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. It's like Nunes' staff didn't even cherry pick very well. Okay, because so, that slipped in there. Like, okay. So then, <clears throat> Christopher Steele goes out. Does a bunch of opposition research, finds a bunch of juicy shit about Trump and Russia and hookers and pee, mm-hmm. and presents it to Fusion GPS. Now, the important thing to know about this is if Fusion GPS is a highly respected opposition research company, and right? They're good at what they do. And that's why somebody like the DNC or the Clinton campaign, who has enough money to pay anybody that on earth, they hire the very best to do this. In order to retain that kind of reputation, They certainly would not go to Christopher Steele when they hired him as a subcontractor to do some of this research to say, hey, the DNC hired us to do some oppo into Trump. They they don't want to tarnish his investigation or bias it it in any way. So they just go to him and they say, we want to know everything that has to do with Donald Trump. Go. Now, granted, or uh, here's a little, you know, it probably wasn't too hard for him to deduce who was probably behind it. Sure. But that's not his job. Nope. To figure that out or to care or to care or to meet with Hillary Clinton and get instructions. No, his job is just go find out everything about Donald Trump. That could have been from a number of different reasons from Tom Steyer could have been from anti-Trump Republicans could have been from a left wing interest group could have been from a super PAC could Could have have been been from from the Republican Party because they wanted to make sure there wasn't anything crazy. It could have been from 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 one of his big donors who wanted to make sure that if he was going to get to you have to vet your own candidate. Oftentimes you hire people to do opposition research. No, I'm sorry. A hundred percent of the time you hire someone to do opposition research against your own candidate because you need to know what's out there when they find it. You need to have an answer for it. (laughs) Well, Republicans don't seem to do that anymore. Literally anyone the Trump campaign certainly doesn't he certainly wasn't trying to get partisan information about Trump if it was for the Republicans they need to know mm-hmm. if it was for the Democrats they need to know doesn't mm-hmm. matter who it's for what is it so it's in other words it's highly likely Christopher Steele had no idea who paid who, for it who, 
funded it and no interaction with Clinton and the Clinton campaign at all. We don't know that for sure, but that's highly likely. Highly. So that's problem number two. Also, the original reason for the subcontractor to go to the client, because then you're bypassing Fusion GPS, and that's not in their best interest. Here's problems three and four. Problems three and four. This idea that the FBI and DOJ misled the FISA court because they didn't disclose that the Steele dossier was paid for as opposition research by uh, the opposition party to Trump. A, uh, there's a lot of leaks and sources coming out that A, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Uh, B, if it wasn't bullshit, so fucking what? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They already had a warrant. This was a renewal. He was already a person of interest before he ever worked on the Trump campaign. And and why why would one assume that a FISA judge would care either way? Who paid for what? Because they're, what they're doing is they're presenting the facts yeah. and the intelligence right. from this dossier. And if the dossier... Because no, <laughs> this is really interesting, right? Only Carter Page and a few others are claiming everything in the... And Trump is saying what is in the dossier is bullshit. The memo and the people behind pushing the memo aren't saying the dossier is bullshit. No. They're saying, no, 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 the dossier shouldn't have been part of this renewal application because it was funded by opposition. Now, That's they all do they're say, saying. They're not saying the facts in it are wrong. They're not. Okay, he, he's a little nuanced about this in the memo. He says, the facts in the memo are only partially verified at the time of the request. And then he goes on to say <laughs> that Jim Comey went and talked to Donald Trump about the dossier, which we know, and said, even though it's salacious and not yet verified, I wanted to give you a heads up. At no point did they say it has since been verified or it's since been proven wrong. They're not saying that the dossier is bullshit. They're saying it hadn't yet been completely verified, so um, yeah, you can't well, use that? And it's like, well, that's How about some logic here? If it had been completely verified, there would be no need for a FISA warrant right. to gather evidence. Correct. This, this is an investigation. This when, is the beginning of an investigation. Yeah, like when you get a warrant, it's because we have we have reason, yes. reasonable reason to believe yes. this crime is being committed and we need to gather more evidence. Correct. So, so we Dev- need a warrant to go look for that evidence. So, but we have enough to say probable cause. So right? Devin probable News cause. thinks you're horribly stupid. Yes. It would be like if there was a warrant to search your house, then that, that means when they bust in and find the pot, they automatically sentence you. <laughs> right. Like, it's not how no, that no, no. works. They're they're trying to gather evidence. Now, if what they're saying is that the Steele dossier was the only probable cause that the FBI had. That's what they had been saying, but they backed off that since the memo came out because the memo right. contradicts that. Right. Now, if they were saying the Steele dossier was not verified and was the only thing that was probable cause, then sure, the warrant should be invalid because fruit from a poisonous tree. Right. Well, but they, they were that's saying that's not the case. They, well, they took that a step further. They said the Steele dossier was the only thing that spurred the entire Trump Russia investigation. Right. The Mueller investigation was strictly based upon the Steele dossier, which is verifiably untrue. Obviously untrue. <laughs> well, but Mueller, we, Mueller's going to let you know just how untrue that is. Yes. So, anyway, um, I think we're pretty far in the weeds here on this, but I know, it's important. I'm, I'm sorry, I, it's but just, you have to connect these dots, right? It's it's just madness. Okay, so... And here's another problem that I just want to yeah. get that, that sort of rises above all this. When Carter Page first found... When it first came to light that Carter Page was in some trouble here. Yeah. 
um, for his Russia dealings, the Trump campaign, like they do with everybody who gets in trouble, really distanced themselves and said, this guy was hardly in the campaign. Coffee well, fetcher. He was a coffee fetcher. Mm-hmm. We kicked him out. He had nothing to do. And now all of a sudden, he is the Trump campaign. Right. Because conveniently, this this proves all the malfeasance of the DOJ and the FBI, and they're in cahoots with Hillary and Obama. And they were wiretapping the people at the highest levels of the Trump campaign. Yes. But I thought Carter Page was a coffee fetcher. Yeah. And who didn't who know might anything. might have already been booted from the campaign. And that's why we didn't vet him. We didn't know about all this Russia stuff because he didn't matter. Oh, wait, no, he was really important, and we didn't vet him because... Wait, wait, where are we? Yes. What happened? You have to have... They yeah. try to have it all ways. You and, can't. And every time I run into some Trump apologist on Twitter and I bring that up, it's always crickets. Not yeah. one person has responded What to was his role? And if his role was as important as you say it is, and he was being surveilled by the FBI, A, how did you not know that and why did you hire him? Or B, like, how did you, did you not vet this man? Well, clearly. If he was being surveilled by the FBI for possible connections to Russia, why did you hire him? Why did you not look into his history? Why did you not know that he was, I mean, or if he was just a coffee fetcher, then what do you care if they were wiretapping him? He didn't know anything about the campaign anyway. Right. So what, which one? You can't have it all. Pick one. Pick one. But what was his role? Because I'm very unclear. Well, this, this is another thing the Republicans have done, right? They throw all the shit against the wall, even when it contradicts each other, and hope some of it sticks and some of it does. Yeah. <laughs> and you ignore the rest. Yeah. At least that's what the media does. Uh-huh. Except we don't. No. It's <laughs> It's so frustrating. Like, you can't just redefine this man's role for whatever suits you and get away with it on my watch. I well, don't, do I need an answer. They do it with Gates, they do it with Papadopoulos, they do it with Flynn. Manafort. And oh, Flynn a- was nothing. Oh, no, he was the head of the, like, transition team and, the, you know, the chief of staff and the thing. But no, he was just... Uh, well, those uh, are some uh. things I read on Twitter this morning, is that the, uh, the, the, the MAGA brigade is now saying, oh, well, n- now Flynn and Manafort should be set free. I'm like, they already... What? He pled guilty. At least Flynn did. <laughs> They're corroborating witnesses in it. No. Oh my God. Set free for why? Would okay, we do that? They can, they can rescind their guilty plea and, and fight Mueller now if they think this is going to help them. Good, good luck with that. But that they have nothing to do with this. They have nothing to do with this. Like this has nothing to do with FISA. Flynn's thing has nothing to do with FISA courts. Has I nothing know. to do with I, the Steele dossier. Yeah, I know. Has everything to do with him being paid by foreign governments to basically spy on the U.S. and then get involved in the presidential camp? I mean, there's okay, so nothing you can. Let's that's talk crazy. About some more issues with the with the Nunes memo. Uh, like I said, we knew it was going to be cherry picked. It was really badly cherry picked. Yeah. Because you have in there that that the FBI, um, it basically says that. The judge and the FBI, or at least the FBI, was comfortable with the information in the Steele dossier because Steele had proven a very reliable source. Yes. Now, here's another thing that Republicans are howling about. Now, Steele, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, when – I don't know how or why, but he may have leaked some of his information from the dossier to Mother Jones a while back. Yeah. And at that point, the FBI – they didn't like that. They don't like when stuff they're using gets leaked. Yeah. So they stopped using him as an informant at yeah. that point. Understandable. But the Republicans are now saying he got fired. And and then I think this is also the crux of why Lindsey Graham and Chuck Grassley were, were going to say they wanted to prosecute Steele. But he was never working for the FBI. They're, they're lying about that. 
Right. He was never on the payroll. No. He was never working for them. He was an informant. And you use an informant and you stop using an informant however you want to. And Christopher Steele, as a British citizen, is free to talk to whoever he wants. So the FBI... Barring any non-disclosure agreements or whatever he has with Fusion GPS, certainly he... Yeah, yeah. Like, the FBI got word that this stuff was floating around, that this guy, who's a very, very um, competent researcher and has provided great intel in the past, was doing this research, and they got in touch with him, and they said, hey, float it our way. And he was like, sure. Um, they didn't hire him to do it. He was being paid by Fusion GPS. Now, Christopher now they still, found yeah. out that he was talking to Mother Jones, and... That made them mad because they don't, like you said, they don't like shit getting leaked to the media. Which is which is the same reason they didn't want this memo leaked. Right. Because it's revealing their methods and their right. sources. Right. So I don't know or care exactly why Steele did talk to Mother Jones, but... I the, feel like maybe if it was me, I would understand you have all of this and you know it's not going to come out, but you know it should. Sure. And yeah, had no, he not talked to Mother Jones, none of us would be having this conversation right that, now. That, that's, that's entirely probable. Yeah. But the, the point is that has nothing to do with anything. With the truth <laughs> or veracity or, or methodology used to collect this information with the, the verifiable nature of it, the, the truth of it. Any of all of that is just smoke and mirrors, right? All of this, all of the whole memo is just smoke and mirrors. They never say it's not true. They just want to be like, ugh. It was so, so really, Gra- I don't know. Grassley and Graham's whole thing might be that at some point the FBI asked him, did you leak to this to Mother Jones? And he was like, no. And then so they want to get him on that for lying to the FBI, maybe. Good luck. Go ahead. Okay. Haul Christopher Steele in and let's do a whole bunch of discovery. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yes. He'll, he'll read, the, read all of his whole fucking dossier verbatim and stuff that hasn't been declassified yet. Yeah. They probably thought better of that. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Like they, they floated that Once you criminally charge someone with something, they have a lot more rights um, mm-hmm. and a lot more transparency. And yeah. uh, you don't get to just not release things. Yeah. I think Grassley be... and Graham said, okay, we got a nice news cycle out of this that throws some mud in the gears. And Uh-huh. We're not actually charging Christopher Steele with a crime on American soil because, oh my God, our discovery <laughs> laws are uh, very much in the defendant's... Uh, yeah. As they should be. As they should be. Yeah. Anyway, what, what? there are a couple other interesting things from the memo. Uh, there was some contradictory stuff in there that, like, it, it was very obvious that this was a sort of handwritten noons thing that said Papadopoulos and, and um, Carter Page, their investigations were not related, but then later it kind of said they were related. And then, like, the guy with the text messaging his girlfriend, since he had any involvement in it whatsoever, that that therefore taints it. Um, taints questioning of Papadopoulos yeah. which what? is completely irrelevant because Papadopoulos has already flipped and he's talking to Mueller so I don't know what the point of I don't either was. and then he does this thing at the beginning where he's trying to establish timelines and he throws Rod Rosenstein in there and Sally Yates and, and you could tell they're totally and you can tell yeah. yeah that they're like like he had nothing to do with any of this like he wasn't the person petitioning the FISA court he was names not on anything he just worked in the DOJ, but they threw him in there anyway, because then they can be like, <laughs> you know, after looking at all of this, 
We've we've just decided that anyone who was involved, including Rod Rosenstein, needs to be fired because this was just well, such sure. a violation that, of all the, the things. That's where this all right? is leading. And we're going to get to that probably in the second half. Yeah. Because the, the Saturday Night Massacre is coming and it doesn't matter that this news memo was a total flop and a joke. Nope, it's going to be used gonna use as, as the basis and justification for for firing everybody and trying to trying halt to. this investigation. Trying yes, to. yeah, but yeah, I thought one of the first. It's like the first page I read it, and I was like, "Oh, here's where we get to fire Rod Rosenstein." Yep. Great, okay, mm-hmm. okay. And it's just so because if we can put her in the same sentence as Sally Yates, and everybody hates Sally Yates on the on the right, right? Everybody on the left, she's a hero. But if we can put him in the same sentence as Sally Yates, then we can be like, you know, looking back at this. It's clear that Rosenstein is just is ineffective and he's a, he's a Sally Yates, you know, he's we can't have these people around. And yeah, no, that that was interesting for sure. Um, And then kind of trash talking Comey, which was just weird because it was actually opposite day. Like, yeah, because what, what, what they're, they're is, complaining that he gave Trump a heads up about the dossier, which is like, well, did you say thank you or like what? Why is that? What is that? What does that mean? Why, why even bring oh, it up? Comey, Comey, Comey. Um, can I say I, I still wouldn't piss on James Comey if he was on fire? Yeah, he's a nonsense garbage. The person. way he fucked up, he, the way he put a thumb on the scale, whether he meant to or not, and I don't think he meant to. I just think he, he is like one of these bad comedy movies where somebody gets in and over the head and everything they do to rectify the situation makes it ten times worse. Yeah. I think that's what Comey did by... He got political for the sake of trying to appear apolitical. And, and he's bad at it because it's not everything. his fucking job. No, no. He got way too big for his britches and tried to step outside his role. And there was a reason that the FBI has rules yes. for investigations of candidates during campaigns. Investigations, period, and not discussing them publicly and all kinds of things. Right. And he didn't so follow he those rules. And overcompensate and, and undercompensate and this. And it just, it was a mess. That's why it's not his fucking job. It's not his job to try to figure out what the political wins are going to look like for him. And also, what the fuck? The most important thing in the 2016 fucking election is not what people think about Jim Comey. It's not. I promise you that was not the most important thing. Well, to him it was. And to him it was, and that is a gross violation of his duty as that in that role. And 30 years from now, maybe he'll sit down and come clean about that, like the way Robert McNamara did before he died. Yeah, Fog of War. I love that documentary. But, like, you know, that's no help now. And now he's pontificating on Twitter that, you know, oh, oh, this this is is terrible. And it's like, yeah, you, You, you got us here. You got us here. You're in part. In part, you got us here. Absolutely. Trying to do something that was way out of your league, man. So Comey's not my boyfriend. <laughs> no. No, I don't think that he's like, you know, some kind of corrupt official either. I just think he... No, he's a self-important jackass. Yeah, who, who inserted himself into a presidential election and he should not have. Right. He should have said exactly what they always say, which frustrates the media, but he wanted to be a media darling um, and have everybody like him and nobody think that he was a bad... I bet he's a child of alcoholic parents. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do. Seriously. Well, I know when I Just worked no, in... Nobody op- can ever be mad at me ever. Opiate addiction research. He, he was in this video I watched about it. And boy, is he passionate about, you know, that. Yeah. Or was. Yeah. In any event... So a few minutes before the break, what else was in the memo that was eye-opening to you? Oh, we're forgetting some stuff. Oh, I'm sure that we are. But no, uh, the the most eye-opening thing for me was the lack of anything eye-opening no, at all. No, no. The whole crux of it is that 
this the whole investigation is tainted, even though Paul Ryan denies us what this was about. Of course, that's what this is about. Of course. That everything is tainted because the FBI and DOJ did not disclose to the FISA judge that their renewal for the FISA warrant on Carter Page, which may have been after he left the campaign anyway, was based on the Steele dossier and that they did not disclose that the Steele dossier was paid for by opposition research by DNC and or the Clinton campaign. Therefore, none of that matters, by the way. No, none of it. Now, if the things in that dossier turn out to be illegally gathered or untrue and that that dossier was the basis and the only basis for probable cause to get a warrant, fine. That's not true. Well, None here, of that is here, true. Here's so, what, here's what I think the but who is. paid for it doesn't matter. No, it's it's totally not. irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. Doesn't matter who paid for it. It doesn't matter. And the fact that Christopher Steele likely didn't know who paid for it, also. But it doesn't matter who paid for it. The information is there. Well, more and more DOJ and FBI sources who are not in the Giuliani Sessions camp are talking now. Yeah. Because they're fucking pissed off. They're pissed off. But I think all all the rules are broken down and more people actually need to go on record. Yeah. Like including James fucking Comey. You like press conferences? Now's the time. Yeah. I know he won't, but he should. Yeah. In any event, they're saying, okay, no, that's bullshit. (laughs) This is bullshit. Mm -hmm. The judge absolutely knew. No, that is not how it, it, you know, intelligence works, that the funding and the source doesn't matter. Like, if it mattered, would the FBI have opened an investigation into the Clinton Foundation literally based on the Clinton cash book uh, by Mercer and the Bannons? That happened, by the way. Right. Like, we use evidence and guess what? They haven't from, found and they won't. from terrorists and murderers and bad people. And we have sources that are not, it doesn't make the information not valid. Yeah. The, sor- the source of funding or the source of the information, you can call it into question in a jury trial and say, do we believe this guy? Do we not believe it? But if it's verifiable information, it doesn't really matter where the source is as long as it was not illegally obtained. Right. That's what I keep saying to the Carter Page apologist. Like, okay, use that at trial. See if the jury yeah. buys it. Yeah. But do you know that they, they this information they gathered that Carter Page really was in cahoots with the Russians was gathered from oppo research paid for by the Clinton campaign? And see if a jury goes, oh, well, that means it must be tainted. Good luck with that. Try no. it. I mean, again, as long as it was not illegally obtained, as long as no one's Fourth Amendment rights were violated, they didn't bust into his house with no warrant and do something, right? They got a warrant. Right now, that's law. The FISA court warrants are valid for things like wiretapping. So, <laughs> Another thing that's come up on Twitter is that, well, you know, this oppo research now has laid the whole groundwork for the Mueller investigation, and now he's looking into stuff that even doesn't have to do with Russia, like uh, Trump's finances, and I thought, oh, really? Well, do you remember a guy named Ken Starr? Yeah. Do you know what Ken Starr was brought in for? Right. We talked about this last week. they had one special yeah. counsel that couldn't find yeah. anything on Whitewater. And so they said, well, let's give it another try. <laughs> yeah. This is what we talked about last week about how it that, there once you start. Yeah. They didn't go. Ken Starr didn't go and looking for blowjobs. Well, Ken Starr only found it because he got a hot tip from Linda Tripp about a stained dress. Right. And a recorded phone call. Yeah. So, so, so the, it does so the grand none of that. Jury perjury charge and the um, impeachment. Did it have anything to do with Whitewater? No. No. Nothing. It Zero. didn't even have anything to do with Paula Jones. Nope. It had to do with a hot tip to the prosecutors that, that back in the day he was he, asked about he, something and he, he lied under that oath. That he diddled Monica Lewinsky and in the moment. He was like, oh, my God, shit, they know about that? No, I didn't do that. And just hoped you know, that, she, that she would keep yeah. quiet. And which, she did, to her credit. She was recorded without her consent. 
She didn't yeah. tell anybody shit. She told a friend. I mean, I'm sure in retrospect, had Bill Clinton had any idea that was coming, he would have just been like, yeah. None I of your business. Deal with it then, or none of your... Or, or played the fifth. He could have played the fifth. Say, I don't know how that's relevant to this right now. I'm not answering that question. No, he fucked up. He denied. He said no. Yeah. Yeah. He said no. I no, no, no. I didn't no, do that. No. Yeah. I didn't fondle Monica Lewinsky with a cigar. No. And then they impeached him on it. And the American public said, okay, yeah, sure, he lied about that, but this is fucking stupid. Yeah. This Russia collusion shit is not stupid. No. <laughs> it is not trivial. No. And, I, and guess what? When Mueller brings his recommendations, it's not going to be about a blowjob. <laughs> nope. No, he don't care about that. <laughs> nope. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we might talk about a little more potential fallout from this, what we think might happen next, and a wonderful David Brooks column that oh Rachel God. has an opinion or two. Oh, my God. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Back to Irreverent Testimony. In the first half, we talked all things Noon's Memo. And um, we're going to discuss more potential fallout from that, what we think is going to happen next. But first, uh, our old friend David Brooks, NPR favorite and voice of what is considered the reasonable right, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, wrote an op-ed uh, in which he thinks he gets to have an opinion about something that he doesn't get to have an opinion about. <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to just turn this one over to Rachel. <laughs> All right, well, New York Times off, yeah. obviously, um, published his op-ed entitled The Abortion Memo, and gosh, does he think he's cute, because he starts it out with two Democratic Party leaders from Imaginary Democratic Consultant. RE, late term abortions. Mm. <clears throat> this guy's a Republican, right? Mm-hmm. He's a Republican old white man. Who just married like a 20 something. Great. Lady. Even better. I wonder what she has to say about this. All right. Here's what his imaginary Democratic consultant memo to Democratic Party leaders RE, quote, late term abortions reads. I don't know if I can get through this without yelling. Dear Democratic leaders, last week I watched as our senators voted down the Republican bill that would have banned abortions after 20 weeks. Our people hung together. Only three Democrats voted with the other side. Yet as I was what he's speaking as a Democratic consultant here. He's not, but he's imaginary. This is who it's from because he's just so cute. 
Only three Democrats voted with the other side. Yet, as I was watching, I kept wondering, how much is our position on late-term abortions hurting us? How many progressive priorities are we giving up so we can have our way on this one? Let me start with some history. In case, you know, Democratic Party leaders didn't know the history of abortion, maybe he could mansplain to us what we... <laughs> Clearly don't know about abortion, so he will. thank God a, a old white Republican man has, has given us this opportunity to know the history of fucking Roe v. Wade, because mm-hmm. I had no idea that this existed before <laughs> right now, in this moment. Yeah. Let me start with some history. Before Roe v. Wade, the abortion debate looked nothing like it does today. <clears throat> yeah. Many leading anti-abortion groups were on the left. The first pro-life rally was on the National Mall was organized by the National Youth Pro-Life Coalition, which a co-founder described as, quote, an extremely liberal group. Okay. What the, the fuck are you talking about? How does that have anything? To, what? Okay. That's, like, that's like pointing out Abraham Lincoln was a Republican and Strom Thurmond used to be a Democrat. Right. So fucking what? So the fuck, what does that matter? And that's like white supremacists saying, we are not racist. <laughs> the National Catholic Welfare Conference endorsed a platform that included that included a right to a living wage, a right to collective bargaining, and a right to life from the moment of conception. So Catholics are exactly where they are today and where they were then. So I don't no, know why Catholics I need that history. No, Catholics don't care much about the first two anymore. Sure, not but with their votes. I mean, I don't care. That's not what we're talking about. Right. In 1971, 1971. Ted Kennedy could declare, quote, wanted or unwanted, I believe that human life, even at its earliest stages, has certain rights which must be recognized. The right to be born, the right to love, the right to grow old. Yeah, well, even in the 70s, old white men were wrong on abortion. So what's the fucking shocking thing there? Yeah, well, Ted Kennedy wasn't that old then, but he was a white dude. And yes, attitudes In the changed. 1970s, Ted Kennedy thought that that was a good thing to say politically. Yeah, of course he fucking did. Okay. In the 1960s, conservative states like Mississippi, Georgia, and Kansas passed laws legalizing abortion. Great. In 1973, Roe v. Wade changed all this. At first, people didn't understand what the decision meant. Quote, plainly, Chief Chief Justice Warren Burger wrote, the court today rejects any claim that the Constitution requires abortion on demand. That's the only part of Roe v. Wade that he quotes, by the way. Just that one (laughs) sentence. Just that one sentence, not the fundamental right to privacy and the Fourth Amendment and the reason that abortion is legal is because of that. But he thinks it's murky, Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. It's murky. So I'm sorry that he's confused. Maybe he should have a conversation with me. But then everything polarized. Oh, my. The pro-life movement grew on the right and withered on the left. Republicans introduced an anti-abortion plank into their platform in 1976. A new electoral coalition was born. I would like to point out that the time he was talking about, the 60s and 70s, were times in which marital rape was legal, times in which women could not have credit cards, Mm -hmm. couldn't own property on their own, were fighting for the right to be able to negotiate their own employee employment contracts. Women were not fully citizens in the 60s and 70s, and people don't really understand that. I mean... We had the right to vote, right? But there were a lot of laws that prevented women from basic citizenship and independent and a, a, autonomy well, from well, their husbands. That was the second, the whole second wave and the Equal Rights Amendment. and the, Which the, failed. Thanks, Republicans. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. 
But there was a reason that we wanted to have an equal rights amendment in the 60s and 70s, which was because women were literally not treated as equal citizens by letter of the law, not just like now, where, sure, we're paid less and we have to continue to fight for our basic human rights, but at least those rights are codified into law in most cases, with the exception of equal pay. Back in the 60s and 70s, that was not the case. And the ERA was a reaction to that, was a pointing out of the lack of rights that women had under law. Mm-hmm. So this this wonderful time that he's pointing out, this time where it just wasn't so, you know, uh, partisan and polarized. It was such a better time. No, it fucking wasn't a better time for women at all. We were not fully citizens in this glorious time he's fucking talking about. It was better for him, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Let's go back to the 60s. No, fuck you. Okay. (laughs) The GOP became an alliance between its traditional pro-business wing and its burgeoning pro-life wing. Millions of Americans became single-issue voters. They considered the killing of the unborn the great moral issue of our time. Without pro-life voters, Ronald Reagan never would have been elected. Without single-issue voters who wanted pro-life judges, there would not have been a President Donald Trump. Okay, that's just... So he's blaming us for Donald Trump? Yes. Okay, that's new. Because of... Uh, single issue voters who wanted pro-life judges, not racism. That's, that's cute. I understand that our donors, though not necessarily our voters, those in the Democratic Party, remember, want to preserve a woman's right to choose through all nine months of her pregnancy. But do we want late term abortion so much that we're willing to tolerate President Trump? Do we want it so much that we will give up our chance at congressional majorities? Do we want it so much that we see our agendas on poverty, immigration, income equality, and racial justice thwarted and defeated? (laughs) Fucking yes, we do. Not to mention, first of all, yes. The right to control my own fucking body and have bodily autonomy is more important to me than almost anything else. Not to mention... All of those things that we stand for, poverty, immigration, income equality, racial justice, all... All of those are connected to reproductive rights. Yes. Reproductive rights are fundamental to human rights. Yes. Fundamental to the eradication of poverty. Yes. If you force women into motherhood and then you don't provide any social services, if you force women into motherhood, first of all, that is a moral failing. Second of all, then they are saddled with the cost of raising a child, which, as we all know, is extraordinary. It has to do with racial equality. It has to do with income equality. It has to do with basic fundamental human rights. Reproductive rights cannot be separated from the progressive agenda because it's all tied into that. If we do not view women as being able to have bodily autonomy, then we are nowhere as progressives. Well, so it, fuck it, you, it, David Brooks. Absolutely, that is a fundamental right that the progressive party, the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. should stand behind at the cost of anything else. And if he was a progressive, he'd understand that, but he's not, so his little hypothetical scenario is stupid. Yes. Here's where it gets really fun. <clears throat> Let's try to imagine what would happen if Roe v. Wade was overturned. The abortion issue would go back to the states. The Center for Reproductive Rights estimates that roughly 21 states would outlaw abortion. Abortion would remain legal in probably 20 others there's a good chance that a lot of other states would hammer out the sort of compromise the European nations have. Legal in the first months, difficult after that. That's what most Americans support. Okay, let's just break that down for a second. Let's just not be so fucking flippant about the idea that almost half of the country, abortion would be illegal. Mm -hmm. 
So almost half of the country, 21 states, if we go by this math that he's using from the Center for Reproductive Rights, 21 states would outlaw abortion. That means that almost half of the women in this country would not have access to abortion, which probably doesn't seem like a big deal to a rich old white guy, but is a giant deal to all the women who live in those 21 states, many of whom can't afford to just, I don't know, get on a plane and fly to a different state and have a 24-hour waiting period and have an abortion and then fly home and miss work. There are economic disparities here that he clearly doesn't understand. But, you know, flippantly, well, at least it'll be legal in 20. That's, that's not a thing that we're okay with. I'm not okay with it being illegal in large swaths of Texas, in certain counties and cities in Texas where people have to drive three or four hours within their own state. Tell me how it's okay that half of the states in this country would not have legal and safe abortion. That's, I don't... Then, this is his his prognication, the pro-life movement would turn its attention away from national elections. Single-issue abortion voters would no longer be automatic Republicans. What? The abortion debate would no longer be an absolutist position on one side against an absolutist position on the other. No, that's just wrong. The abortion debate will always be an absolutist position on one side against an absolutist position on the other. We can try to untangle it from party politics, but I'm telling you right now that it is my sincerely held belief that abortion should be safe and legal. And people on the other side, it is their sincerely held belief that abortion is killing babies. And there is no table that we can sit across. There's no, we're not on the same playing field. There is no, just take it out of national politics and somehow we find common ground. It doesn't work that way. Of course not. This this position, this is not something, this isn't like, this isn't like tax policy or immigration or something. This is fundamental to who people are who are on one or the other side of this issue. This is not something that, oh, well, if we just take it out of the national spotlight, people will calm down and it won't be. No, it will never be. It will never be. Of course not. Ask anybody who's volunteered for Planned Parenthood or volunteered to walk somebody in to get a pap smear at a Planned Parenthood or... Or went to go get an abortion or went to go get a pap smear or literally had a conversation with someone who disagrees with them. (laughs) It is not possible to find common ground because we are working from two different sets of facts. I understand and I acknowledge and respect the idea that if I thought someone were killing babies, I would be against that. Mm -hmm. I, I get it. That's that's what they believe. And I can't change that. No. But that doesn't mean that. I should soften my position so we can find common... We're not... There's no common well, ground. It's either I mean, killing babies or I'm a human. Yeah, but those people even go way further than that and and think that your IUD kills babies or that Yes, I'm a walking baby murderer. Or that sex for fun is somehow... Killing babies. Killing babies. So, yeah. I mean, you know... We're, we're so... Like I said, there's... We're not in the same... We're not even... There's no common ground here. There just isn't. And, and please get to, before you finish what late-term abortion is and why some women oh, need it. Oh, can we please talk about that? First yeah. of all, late-term abortion is not post-20 weeks. It's just not. Most women don't know they're pregnant until two to three months, if they weren't intending to be pregnant, right? Mm, if yeah. you're just like, oh, I was a little spotty in my first and second month. You know, so about two months in, most women are like, things are fishy, maybe I'll take a test or I've been nauseous or whatever. So that's already two months. Mm-hmm. At two months, it's what, like, not even a kidney bean. Mm-hmm. And 20 weeks is, what, 
four and a half months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a full term is nine months, obviously. So we're about halfway through. 20 weeks is not late term. I wouldn't say. However, for those women who do need late term abortions, and there are women that need late term abortions, it's not because they went six months into their pregnancy, seven months into their pregnancy and decided, you know what? I wanted to have a baby for the last seven months, but then I just decided, fuck this. I'm tired of being pregnant. I just randomly decided I don't want to have a baby anymore. Mm-hmm. Just rip it out. I don't care. It's around that 20 week and, and you know, 24 week mark that women find out about a lot of congenital problems that their babies have, that their baby won't survive outside the womb, that even if they had the baby, it would be so sick from so many congenital conditions that it wouldn't survive or it would require weeks and months of surgery and would probably still die. Or the life of the mother starts to come into play and they realize that she has some condition they didn't know about and she would probably not survive labor, may not even survive the last few now, months. Now, some 20-week abortion ban proponents do put in some of those um, exceptions, but not all. No. Not all. No. That's important to note. That is important to note. And... What they're talking about is a full ban. Yeah. Full ban. Uh, This bill that he's talking about. Yeah. This hill we want to die on. It's to literally say, I don't care what your circumstances are. I don't care if you have to carry a dead baby inside of you, possibly causing sepsis, possibly causing your death. Which happened recently in Ireland. Yeah. Ireland has this. They have a total abortion ban. But um, I don't care because the, the human woman... Involved in this is not a human woman. And by not the way, that doesn't human. mean women are not having abortions in Ireland. Right. They're having unsafe abortions that they have limited access to. Which would be the case here if Correct. conservatives had their way. The thing is, you can outlaw abortions, but you will never stop them. Of course not. We know that because when they were not legal, people still had abortions. It's like prohibition in drinking. Correct. How did that work out? Yes. Do you think that when Colorado legalized marijuana, everyone went, maybe I should start smoking pot? <laughs> Or maybe a lot of those people just started buying it legally that were already smoking pot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not the point. But <sighs> Roe v. Wade polarized American politics in ways that have been fundamentally bad for Democrats. Okay. If you don't believe me, compare the size of the elected Democratic majorities in 1974 to the size of the Republican majorities in 2018. Oh, he leaves a couple things out there. Oh, really? The old Solid South and the Dixiecrats. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you think? All kinds of other Maybe shit. Maybe there's a lot of things going on between 1974 and right now with party politics in the United States. No, nothing, just maybe. No, nothing's changed. It's all about it's abortion. It's just abortion. That's it. That's it. The year after Roe v. Wade, nothing else has happened since Roe v. Wade to, to alter anything demographically or party politics wise in this country, except that voters used voters, to be a reliable democratic state because they always voted Democrat, period. And they didn't even care about who was on the ballot. We need to acknowledge Okay. We need to acknowledge our vulnerability here. Democrats support the right to choose throughout the forty weeks of pregnancy. But <laughs> But babies are now viable outside the womb at 22 weeks. As Emma Green wrote in The Atlantic, scientific advances, quote, fundamentally shift the moral intuition around abortions. Parents can see their babies' faces earlier and earlier. 
we're learning how cognitively active fetuses are. A researcher from Britain recently found that fetuses prefer to look at face-like images while in the womb. Okay. How does that work? I, I don't know. Early in the pregnancy, they can recognize and distinguish between tastes. Okay. Are we feeding fetuses? What are we feeding them? I, I don't know. It's not how it works, but okay. I, I think they're doing these fMRI scans, and when the different parts of the brain light up, they're assuming... All kinds this, of things. So. I mean, they, they're fed through the... Uh, Placenta. The umbilical, the cord. umbilical cord, which is not in your mouth. Do you think David Brooks actually knows that? I don't know, but... Do you think he knows where the vagina is and the, the cervix and the fallopian tubes? Oh, no. Does he one of those people that thinks that if you... The clitoris is how you make babies, so when women push on it... There was literally this article that came out the other day that was, when women masturbate, that's the devil's button, because master, the clitoris is how you have babies, and the reason that you feel so bad after you come, I don't know who he's talking to, um, is because your brain is sending you signals that you're doing it wrong, because there's no the baby in there. sex with just felt really horrible afterwards. I would imagine they probably did. I don't think it had anything to do with masturbation or their clitoris, but anyway. Wow. Maybe that's who David Brooks consulted. Maybe it no, is. No, seriously, if you drew out a picture of the female anatomy and asked him to like identify the different parts, do you think he... I don't. He would be like, the cum hole. I don't know. <laughs> the pee hole. The pee hole, and that's and where ba- I... That's, the, that's, the, the, that's, the, that's the, the thing... The pee hole and the baby tube. That whole thing's just the thing I try to come in when I was a kid. I don't know. It hasn't worked out a lot in my life. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so he's talking about all this kind of junk science... And in some way, he's right. We have fetal viability outside of the womb earlier and earlier. That's certainly true, yes. given mm-hmm. all of the technological and scientific advances that exist. Yep. There's a Radio Live episode about it. Yeah, which is, yeah, just great. Actually, I love that one. What I would like to point out that he keeps sort of missing the point on here is that, man, women are also cognitively active. Um, we prefer to look at face-like images. <laughs> we can recognize and distinguish between tastes. You can? We can recognize words. Oh, wait a minute. So, tunes, you, so you're a person with languages. rights? Languages. We can cry. Um, you're, you're a person I'm, with rights. I'm a per, I'm, I have all of those things. You're not a baby incubator? No. See, that's the thing. A baby I, incubator with a name? Yeah. Maybe. Who cares about that, really? Um, yes. No. I'm, I have all of the same qualities here, except that I have them way before that right <laughs> i have those all the time and the reason that you were pregnant had to do with somebody else as well correct who doesn't have to do, do any, of, any of that any of that hmm. Hmm. makes you think a little like i mean I'm it doesn't a, make david brooks think but no it, it makes women aren't people obviously no obviously baby factors we are doing quote um it could be that one of the current behaviors that future generations will regard as most barbaric is our treatment of fetuses. I would argue that it could be that one of the current behaviors that future generations will regard as most barbaric is our treatment of women. Mm-hmm. We also shouldn't take millennial voters for granted. Boomers saw the pro-choice movement as integral to their feminism. Weird. Weird. <laughs> Millennials do not. In 1991... 36% of young voters thought abortion should be legal in whoa, all whoa, circumstances. Whoa, whoa. He cites a 1991 poll? Hold on. Now, he says, only 24% do. Okay. Young voters don't like the total Republican ban, but they don't like our position either. Moreover, young pro-choice voters are either much more ambivalent or apathetic than young pro-life ones. Let's point out why that is. And if you took that survey when Obama was president, I bet it would be very different than if you take it a year from now and the Trump-Pence administration is still uh-huh. in power. Yeah, sure. 
people get complacent about things that are given. Right. Of we, we get complacent about things like, I don't know, murder is illegal. So it's not a top of my voting list of priorities to make sure murder stays illegal. I'm pretty certain it's going to be illegal forever. So it's right. not on the top of my priority list. Sure. It's not a, a top issue that I give a shit about because it, it seems to me that that's, there's no threat to it, that it, that it's a given. I think a lot of young voters felt that way um, in the last 10 years, eight to 10 years, um, because it seemed that we were moving in the right direction, that we that these Supreme Court cases were coming down. They consistently came down on the side of women. These bans have consistently been um, overturned or not passed. The the ballot initiatives trying to make life start at conception and criminalizing women for miscarriages consistently have... Yeah, consistently voters over, like, say, fuck no, even in conservative states. It makes sense to me that if you were to ask a millennial voter five years ago or four or two or one, hey, how do you feel about, like, in on the list of things that are high priorities for you for voting, where is reproductive rights? 24% seems about right. Those are people like me that are actively engaged in this movement. Right. I don't think that means that you know, the rest of young women or young voters in general don't care or are apathetic. It's just that that's not something that's on their radar because it's always been that way and it seems pretty safe. Mm-hmm. And a, back a in the... to the progress we've made. Right. Back in the 90s, it didn't seem that way. No, definitely not. And boomer women remember a time when it wasn't. No, no, where you couldn't get contraception. Right. So it was very high up on their list. It's not because ours seemed safe. But let's not, you know, nuance anything. Just look at numbers. <laughs> All right, to follow, to close, here's what he says. I'm asking us to rethink our priorities. What does America need most right now? One of our talking points is that late-term abortions are extremely rare. If they are extremely rare, why are we giving them priority over all of our other issues combined? Sincerely, your imaginary consultant. They're extremely rare because we care about women. Mm-hmm. We are giving them priority over all of our other issues combined, I don't think that we are, actually. I think that we should be. I think that we should, as a party, wholly and entirely um, not support candidates who are not vehemently pro-choice, and we're not doing that currently. But the reason that, because they are rare but still legal, is because of the situations we just talked about, where actual human women who exist and are alive and have cognitive fucking function could die. Mm -hmm. And it matters. Their life matters to me. Of course it does. So that's why we want to fight to keep them legal because they're rare because women aren't fucking monsters who just decide they don't want to be pregnant and want to kill a baby. They're rare because only when they're absolutely necessary do women need to take that step and it needs to be available to them if they should so need it. Right. So fuck you, David Brooks. And um, yes, you should write a letter to the editor because I don't think anybody could... Well, not anybody in the world. <laughs> anybody I know could uh, sum it up better than you could. But Well, thanks. But I just hate him. I hate the whole thing. It's just so fucking mansplained to me about why abortion shouldn't be a priority for the party. Fuck, why do you get to have a fucking opinion? Nobody asked you. Nobody gives a shit. You're a Republican and you're an old white dude. This is not an issue that I need to hear from you about ever. I don't need to hear well, your voice what ever. What he's trying to do... And I think you're going to see more and more of this. And we've seen some of this already. This this never Trump Republican cast out crowd. 
Yeah. Whether it's uh, Jennifer Rubin or David Brooks or Nicole Wallace or Steve Schmidt, like they're looking for a harbor. Yeah. And they their their party is fucked. It's gone. Yeah. It's never coming back. Right. That's why so many of them are resigning. Uh-huh. They're gonna go do something else. So they're, they're they're coming to us and saying. Well, what look, if you just, look, we're we reasonable. Could, we could be on your side if you just rethink, I don't know, abortion. Like, fuck off. We don't need you. Nobody needs you. I'm sorry that you feel without a home because you've allowed your party to foment racism and and classism and bullshit for so long it stu- that it finally so came to a fucking By head. Genius, and now yeah. we have Donald Trump and you don't want to be a part of that. But we don't fucking want you. It's not our problem. I never wanted you in the first place. And I don't need your fucking opinion about our party or our platform or abortion or anything else. Go find something else to do. Yeah. So like, you know, our friend Greg Dworkin consistently pushes the other side and says, don't don't push away the anti-Trump Republicans. We, we need them. And I understand it's pragmatism, but like on a deeper level, we don't. And I don't want them. And they're full of shit. And and if this is what they would like to tell me, if they would like to say, okay, let's work together because at least we're all anti-Trump. If this is what you come at me with, is a condescending, patronizing explanation of why my rights as a woman don't matter, Mm -hmm. go fuck yourself and do something else with your life. You're not welcome in my party. And I don't want your opinion and I don't care about you. I don't need David Brooks to be a Democrat. I don't need him for any kind of coalition. If his effort at reaching across the aisle is to patronize me about how I'm not human, then I don't need him mm-hmm. or anybody like him. Nope. And next, his next article will be, do we really care about gay people that much? They're only 10% of the population. <laughs> and how about after that, you know, these dreamers are really causing a ruckus. Can we just forget that they exist. And, and then how about after that, you know, everybody's so trans, freaking out over the environment. Yeah. How about like, who cares about plastic bags? And are we really, do we really believe that like methane is that bad? Come on, let's be reasonable. Oil and gas makes a lot of money. I'm not letting these people who hate Trump try to come to our party and turn it into Republican light. Well, it, I'm not doing it. Well, in no. a sense, that's ironically kind of what Bernie's doing, right? Yes. And fuck him too. make your own party. Let the Freedom Caucus crazy people own Republican. I don't give... Here's the thing. I don't give a shit about what they do or they don't do. Go do your thing. But do not come to my party and my platform and my people and tell us, hey, you're kind of the only game in town. Now let me tell you all the ways in which you can change to become more like what we were. I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. No. It's like when white people try to be allies in Black Lives Matter. And so they go to these meetings and they go to these movement meetings. Well, if you would do this well, this way. Well, here's what you're not doing right. Here's the thing that you're, if you just did it, if you just let me take over. No, fuck and, off. And, and white people would be would be less guarded. If you said this and what, oh, it's just too disruptive. And it's just, if we didn't want to stand in the street, we can hold hands on the side of the street. <laughs> fuck off. I went on a date with a guy after the Women's March last year. Remember that? And he did this exact thing to me. Oh, yeah. Lauded himself as a yes. feminist. Mansplained. Feminist, feminist, feminist. Mansplained everything we were doing wrong as women to fight for our ourselves. Mm-hmm. All the ways in which we were making men feel uncomfortable. <laughs> making him feel making, uncomfortable. Making men feel uncomfortable. Making him feel uncomfortable. Making him feel like he wasn't part of the story. Making him feel not He's important. Not. He's not. You're not. You're, you're... That's the point. <laughs> it isn't about you for five goddamn minutes. It's unbelievable. Yes, but this is the this is how I feel about this. There well, wasn't a if you could date, just huh? no. That's so oh bizarre, my god, it's Rachel. so weird, right? I'm sure he was very confused. <laughs> um, yeah, 
And he kept saying like, all right, well, we talked about politics, but you know, I just want to like, no, 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 no. (laughs) No. Sorry that I'm owning your face right now, but we're not done. Anyway. Oh, on that subject, at that very same bar, I think. Oh. Because you haven't told the story yet, have you? On the air? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Was at that same bar. I, I get in so much trouble, you guys. At that bar for some reason. Well, I'm a lady. The mouth so tell says us, tell things. Tell the story real quick. <clears throat> All right. So we were at a friend's uh, birthday party. A couple Saturdays ago. Yeah. At my favorite bar. And um, my friend, whose birthday it was, has a boyfriend. And he's like a bearded dude. I thought he's like a hipster guy, right? Like your normal Denver hipster beard guy. But I was wrong. Um, he, I, we had, so I introduced myself to him and, uh, he said, you're not one of those communists, are you? <laughs> and Travis was with there with me there. And he, we sort of looked at each other and thought he was joking. And I didn't know what he was referring to. And Travis was like, probably more so than you'd think. And I was like, right. And then like, he kind of looked at us funny and we scurried off to get a drink somewhere. And then I ended up talking to this lesbian couple who were like crazy, amazing, um, uh, radical leftists. And we talked about like bell hooks and like, just like, you know, leftist political theory and like the best thing ever. Right. For me, how often do you get to go to a bar and talk about leftist political theory with anyone who knows anything about like who a Gombin is or whatever for the bar we were in for? Yes. Yes. It's a Russian vodka bar. Um, A Soviet themed vodka bar. Yes. So anyway, uh, I guess he saw me talking to them. I'm not sure, but I went up to the bar um, and he was standing there with his friend named like Kyle or something. Very like generic white dude. And uh, I was ordering a drink and he said, um, he said something. I, it's been like three weeks, but he said something about the communist thing again. And The difference between capitalism and communism? Oh no, the history. Well, so he said something about it and I said, yeah, but I think capitalism is like a scourge of goodness on the world. Like it's it's one of the main problems we have. And he he looks at me and he says, "Well, let me just tell you really quickly. Let me just give you a little history lesson on the history <laughs> oh of communism and capitalism and how it's worked out." You just said that to the wrong person. And I looked at him, and his friend is standing there, and he's waiting to pontificate. And I said, "Hold, can I just stop you for a second? And he said, "Sure." And I said, "I want you to imagine before." you start this history lesson that I might know more about this than you do. And his friend scoffed. Oh, <laughs> I doubt it. And he said, what, 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 what does that mean? And I said, I, I just want you to imagine that we can start from a different place of you giving me a history lesson. Cause I might know more about this than you do. And he was like, excuse me. And I said, well, do you have a degree in like economics or history or international relations or political science? Or have you done any formal study on any of this? And he said, no, I'm an electrician. And I said, well, I have degrees in some of those things. And I, I'm very clear on the history of communism versus capitalism. So we can start from a basis of both of us know what the history is and then disagree and have a conversation. But I don't need a history lesson from you. I just I don't want to hear it. And he, he just looks at me and goes, this conversation is not going very well. I don't want to have it anymore and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> the conversation never started. No, I... I just, I want to like him because he's dating my friend and I didn't want to listen to him mansplain to me in a bar 
about I just I didn't want to do it and I didn't want to hate him because he did it and I didn't want to be that girl that let him do it and think he was telling me something I didn't know and I'd had a couple of shots so I was like hey maybe we just start from a baseline of we both know this and he was so offended so pissed so I was like okay so I went back over and I was talking to the couple about the theory and my friend comes over and she's like oh my god what did he do (laughs) and I was like what do you mean and she's like what did he do because she's amazing and didn't assume it was my fault. And I I was like, did he tattle on me? And she's like, yeah, but obviously he's the asshole here. And I was like, okay. But so we talked about it and I told her she shouldn't date men that um, don't share her values. But no women listen to me when I tell them that. So anyway, that's my mansplaining <laughs> yeah, story from my, uh, mom listens to that. a couple anyway, weeks ago. So that's good stuff. Uh, real quickly, wrapping up, back to the news memo real quick. I think that Trump wants to take this mm-hmm. and run with it and fire Rosenstein and appoint someone who will either flat out fire Mueller or derail or slow down Mueller. Yes. Or put him off the tracks. Yes. Um, I, I'm, I don't know what kind of pushback he might get. I know he's not going to get any pushback from Ryan. Ryan's all in. Um, I don't know about McConnell. I don't know about his advisors or his lawyers. I, I really don't know how this is going to play out. I know he's going to try. He's yeah. going to try to do all this quickly. Well, there's no reason he would have bothered with any of this releasing of classified information, big deal thing, if there wasn't a plan in place to use it. And the strategic placement of Rosenstein's name, name next to Sally Yates and sort of trying to connect dots that aren't yeah, it's connected. Obvious. It's, obvious. it's obvious that he's going to say, you know what, look, after reviewing this with the Senate or House Intel Committee, whatever, determined that he did these whatever bullshit bullshit he makes up um, and that the entire Mueller investigation is tainted. Well, that, and- that's when you may finally see massive coordinated pushback by those in the intelligence community and some very damaging leaks and maybe even some yeah. leaks from Mueller. Yeah. Um, and... I think his lawyers and whatever smart people are left around him are warning him like, okay, if you try to do this, this, the pushback we might get could be crippling. You're afraid of this coming out. I understand. But if you do this right now, it will all come out the most damning stuff anyway. Yeah. And our best bet. And then you have impeachment just on the grounds of firing these people. And our best bet might be. Maybe Mueller's got stuff but can't connect the dots. Maybe we make an argument that going into your finances was a bridge too far. And we always have the fact that we still control Congress. And if this can somehow get wrapped up before November and we control Congress, you know, Congress can stave this off. That might be better than poking the hornet's nest right now. Yeah. And then, then us being assured to lose Congress in November. Not only that, but then if that impeached. happens, we may be impeached. impeached anyway because you did that. Yeah. The, these would be grounds for impeachment if you do it. Right. We may be able to stave off grounds for impeachment depending on what Mueller is able to find out. But so, if you do this, that's it. Yeah. So I'm honestly not sure what's going to happen. I don't know. I, I don't know. I know he's going to try. I know right now he's saying, great, we got the memo out. Let's fire Rosenstein. Yep. And that whatever smart people are still left around him are saying, slow your roll on that. Yep. No. Or maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe by Monday, Rosenstein's out, and the Saturday we have a whole Saturday massacre, and then we have a constitutional crisis. And from there, I have no idea what happens. Yeah. So <laughs> keep your eyes on it. This time next week, God only knows where we'll be, what we'll be talking about, what the yeah. world will look like. Yeah. And I feel like we say that every Saturday. <laughs> it's 
always true. It's, uh, it's always true. <laughs> Any closing thoughts, Rach? Uh, no. Um, other, well, yeah, sure, I guess. Um, we're getting to that part of the year where people are starting to announce yeah. runs for things. A lot of people maybe in your area are, a lot of Republicans are not running for re-election, are are not seeking another term, are doing a lot of interesting things. This is a really good time to get your ear to the ground and find people who you think can win. And that may mean different things for, for different areas of the country, but find people that you believe in, find people that you think can win. Um, please try not to use too many litmus tests. If they can win and they have a D next to their name and they don't fr- really shit all over everything that matters to us, <clears throat> little leeway would be nice. Um in terms of like, oh, they once did a speech to Wall Street or yeah. they're not they don't hate big business or that kind of stuff. Like they don't hate black people, women, minorities, you know, basic, basic fundamental values of, of the Democratic Party. But they're a little this way on this or that way on that. Maybe you can get in their ear and change their mind on some of those things. But find people that can win. Find people that you're passionate about and try to help them out because, you know, yeah. there's going to be primaries in Colorado ours in June. But we're already seeing people because fundraising um, uh, announce. So get involved early in local politics. It makes the biggest difference. Closing thought. uh, Next week, we're going to have to talk about climate change. (laughs) A city of four million people in uh, the world. City of four million people is about to literally run out of water. Yeah. So that the bill has come due for that now. And we're still arguing over whether it's a thing that exists. Yeah. So stay active, stay tuned, stay involved at Reverend Duo on Twitter, Reverend Testimony at gmail.com. <laughs>